Hey guys, welcome to Where Truth Lies. I'm your host, Kat. I want to talk about seeking truth and how it's a responsibility that each of us have. And it's not a responsibility that I think most people take seriously. And I think that's why the world is where it is today. So what do I mean when I say seek truth, right? It sounds really arbitrary. It's like, what does that mean? Does it mean like fact-checking, Googling? What does it mean? Seeking truth um, begins on a really micro level. And I want to start with some basic foundational things that I think are important in understanding what it means to seek truth. So I think the best way to illustrate this too is to start with my journey of seeking truth. For me, um, you know, always sort of being a thinker and and asking why. I lent on um, the study of human behavior to kind of understand why people did the things that they did. So for me, my sort of objective truth was rooted in the fact that I saw a lot of dysfunctional people and I was like, we can't base what's right and wrong based off this guy's opinion, can we? Like he's a, he's a weirdo with a personality disorder. Like I can't trust that what he says is true. But I realized, okay, at around maybe age 13, 14, and honestly, thank goodness for Google, I really think that kicked off my truth-seeking journey, was is there some kind of objective study of humans and people that will allow me to say, hey, this is a little more trustworthy than just your own subjective opinion and experience. And that was the field of psychology. So I start really getting into psychology and I was sort of, in a way, treating psychology like a religion. You know, this forms my worldview. I see the world through this lens. Like I can trust this because it's a, you know, a serious academic pursuit. It's got its own rigors that make it trustworthy. And um, that worked for a number of years, you know. Um, But it's my belief um, that psychology doesn't contain the fullness of truth. Like uh, nothing, well, I think some things do, but we'll get to that. Um, No particular study can contain the fullness of truth. For example, um, engineering, the study of engineering, well, it needs maths and it has an overlap with this and this and this, right? They're all sort of interdependent forces. Um, so leaning on psychology as an objective sort of morality in a way worked only for a, a small amount of time, but maybe five years. And then I had a really significant experience that um, showed me that this isn't something I can lean on fully and wholly um, to sort of teach me which way to go. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to add something in here. A lot of you might be listening and thinking, well, Kat, I don't need to know what's objectively right and wrong. Um, I don't need to know what's true. And um, I'm okay. I I sort of, I'm okay with uncertainty and it's not about that. Um, I think that needs a whole podcast episode. But I will briefly add in that you will always be searching for truth, whether you know it or not. And I think our brains are very good at creating defenses against discovering the truth. And one way to cope with the uncertainty of life is to kind of give up altogether and adopt a sort of 
not even a nihilistic approach, but a very postmodern, or you might even characterize it as a very new age sort of, you know, like instead of worrying about what's good and bad, um, I'm, I'm just going to put it down to an experience and that's it. And I'm going to tell you that that won't fulfill you. That doesn't work. And I know so many of you are listening and watching and hearing this and, and it's landing for you. And that's because as humans, we are fundamentally searching for truth and for meaning. And the reason for that is, is because the world is intelligible to us. What do I mean by intelligible? I mean, it makes sense. I'm diverging a little here now, but I wanted to add that in. So going back to psychology now, not being enough, there was a real pivotal experience um, that showed that to me. And that happened when I was seeing a psychologist who was fantastic and um, she went on maternity leave and um, there was a fill-in psychologist. I think she was quite um, new, a new psychologist. And I saw a psychologist because, like I said, psychology was my religion. I was seeking an objective morality because I had enough humility to know that just because I perceive something one way doesn't mean that's right or true. And let's use the therapeutic example as a reason why truth is so important. If a guy goes to a therapist and he says, um, I want a long-term relationship, I want to get married, but none of my relationships work. And the reality is that he thinks, let's say, every woman on the planet is out to get him. And he has these delusions about female intention when he's in a romantic relationship and that this is the true cause for why he his relationships aren't working out past the three-month mark. Now, the therapeutic benefit here is that those projections will be deconstructed and he will come to know a clearer picture of reality so that now he can potentially go on to have that, you know, successful long-term relationship, but he needs to understand that what he's seeing is not true, that it's a projection, right? So that is one of the therapeutic benefits, or so I thought it was. Now, I'm seeing this new psychologist while um, the other one was on maternity leave, and she um, didn't share this sort of objective morality. And um, I remember she said to me one day, there's no right or wrong. Like maybe maybe it's right um, in your mind and in your worldview, but not everyone believes that. Now, it was something very general and very fundamental. It was about um, a statement I made that I think in relationships um, we we should expect that we will be challenged by our partner, like in a good way, that that this marriage or union or relationship, it's a growth machine, that amongst other purposes, but you don't get up and leave when someone challenges you, like, duh, come on. If you do that, you're not going to stay in a relationship or you're going to stay in a relationship where there's a dominant person and there's a passive person. And that's obviously an unhealthy dynamic and often rooted rooted in insecure attachment. So I'm hearing her reflect back to me that there is um, no, no real right or wrong in relationships, not even on this fundamental level. And that really was disturbing for me. Um, it was scary. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, I can go one of two ways here. 
now the way that I see the world is completely bunk or I can do something I've never done before, which is to trust my own um, perception of a situation and trust that it's right, even when this objective, you know, respectable source is sort of telling me otherwise. And that was really scary and that was unhealthy for me at the time, you know, up until my early 20s where I I wasn't exercising self-trust. Now I see that as I didn't know when I was seeing truth and I didn't know when I could trust it. Um, So at this really pivotal moment, I was kind of like, yeah, either I'm crazy or um, this, this person's view is not a correct view of reality. And I chose to go with the latter. Um, And that was really hard, but really pivotal in learning to discern truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's happening to a lot of millennials. A lot of this postmodern language of um, there's no right and wrong and don't be judgmental and, you know, do what makes you happy. It makes people feel, it makes people go against their very natural instincts, their very natural impulses to be discerning about what is right and wrong. That is very natural for us. We make assessments on a day-to-day basis. That's how we get up and how we function. Like I get up early for work because I know it's going to be good that I get to work on time. I've made an assessment about what behavior is going to be beneficial and what behavior isn't. We do that a million times a day. Um, but I I have worked with millennials who have learned to turn off this discerning ability, this ability of owning what is right and what is wrong because they're getting characterized or they see other people get characterized as like judgmental or harsh or backwards, or that's not culturally acceptable. Um, And so this was a pivotal moment for me where I had to go, whoa, maybe this isn't, apparently it's not a given anymore that, um, that relationships will challenge you and that it's good to seek a partner who will um, call you up on your shit and not enable you. Uh, Apparently that's not, um, a characteristic of relationships that um, that might be a good thing. Apparently that has no inherent moral value, that anything goes in a relationship. It's about what you want. It's so subjective. It's about what you want. Now, there's elements to that that are true and there's nuance to that. But it was really scary when you've seen this, this um, field of study, psychology, as your moral compass And now this um, study, this profession is no longer assigning moral value to things. And that makes sense. There'll be people here that believe in God, religious people listening, saying, yes, I, I know, like, this is why we're religious. And I'll get to that. So I have this pivotal moment. I even, um, it took me a while though to sort of integrate this understanding and and to shift and to start looking for something higher than psychology because now if psychology is not the truth the objective truth then what is and I had all these questions um about a year after that I enrolled in psychology post-grad psychology and I was sitting in my first class and the professor says um there's no such thing as reality now for people that care about truth you're going to know how disturbing that statement is If what you mean to say is 
there's reality and then there's subjective experiences of reality, then yeah, I, that's something I can get on board with. But that wasn't the message. And um, for me, understanding the therapeutic benefit of how coming to reality transforms you and can make you a healthier person, and that was really distressing. And it was really the nail in the coffin for me. Now, I don't discount psychology. It's still an incredibly useful um you know, field, but to use it as the hierarchy of meaning in my life, like the the, mo- the top principle, the top guiding ethic doesn't work um, because it's becoming more subjective. And I'm really grateful for these experiences because it led me to something amazing. I'll get to that. So this is sort of happening and now I'm learning, okay, Kat, you're on your own here. Like you got to trust yourself. And I knew it was okay to trust myself because I always had a really good knack at um, discerning things that were going on. And and it usually ended up being right. Like I'll give an example. Um, what I'm trying to say is I wasn't delusional. I had a really good idea at picking up on things and um, and picking up on reality, I guess. Now, obviously, there's a humility, right? Um, we can be good at discerning truth, but I don't claim to have a monopoly over truth. My goodness, I'm a human. And that very humility is what led me to say, okay, I can practice self-trust about my ability to to see reality for what it is. But I also know that humans can be wrong. I also know that we're very imperfect, that we might think we're discerning truth, but we're seeing it through a lens that's um, all caught up in like past trauma or ego defenses or a resistance to accepting something, right? And um, that sort of led me to God. Ultimately, it was an understanding that there is right and wrong. But where does that come from? If that doesn't come from psychology, where the hell does it come from? Because it's very clear that humans have a capacity to intuit what is right and wrong. Like I know that everyone listening to this is going to say it's wrong to kill another human being, you know. It's wrong to intentionally kill another human being for, let's add in, for pleasure, right. We can all agree on that one. I say that because it can get nuanced with things like abortion and, and other situations. So we have this ability to intuit what's right and wrong and, um, to kind of pull the thread through everything I've said, the reason why it's so important to seek truth is because when we can see reality for what it is, we can articulate our problems better and we know how to solve them. And we can align ourselves with the things that we need to make things better for us. So again, using that like example of that guy going into the psychologist's office, By coming to reality and knowing that these projections aren't true, he actually has hope for entering into a committed and stable loving relationship. And obviously it's not something that's just like, oh, yeah, I see that now, thanks. Like you have to go through psychological, emotional, spiritual hoops to come to accept reality. But the very process of that, the process of accepting reality through these hoops, that's like, that's like carving out a diamond. Like that's gold. You're being sculpted, right? You're growing. And that's what truth does. And I sometimes use truth um, in a way that's synonymous with reality. But ultimately by coming to reality, 
which reflects what's true, we transform in the process. Um, I think that makes a pretty convincing argument for why we should care about what's true. So when we talk about truth seeking, like what does that look like? And I think it'll look different for a lot of people, but one reason I um, know that I'm pretty good at discerning truth is through a process of pattern recognition. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, the world is made intelligible to us humans through patterns. I know that might sound like a lot of la la la, what does that mean? Okay, let's start with intelligibility. Intelligibility is that something is knowable to us, like it makes sense to us. I'll give you an example of of how the world's intelligible. Okay, the world is not random. It's not so chaotic and so random that we get up every day and like we don't know what the hell's going on. Like, for example, we have a mechanism called memory that allows us to remember our mother's face. Our mum is knowable to us. There's a field called mathematics, which makes things knowable to us through patterns. For example, if I have a banana and you have a banana and someone asks, Hey, how many bananas do you guys have combined? The answer is two bananas. The world is not so random that we can't answer that question. The world makes sense. There's a way of the world that we can understand. That's basically what it means by intelligible. Now, the process of it being intelligible is through patterns. And this draws on what I was saying before about making assessments and making judgments is that the very way our brain works and intuits the world around us is through meaning and association and patterns. For example, we associate the face of our mum with our mum. If the world wasn't intelligible, we'd see our mum's face over and over again and not be able to link the fact that she's our mum. For example, language, linguistics, like you know what I'm saying right now, because there are meanings and associations tied with each word that I say. There is a pattern. So when I talk about pattern recognition in terms of truth, this is what it kind of looks like for me. I might see um, something occur over and over again. For example, what's a pattern? Okay, I'm someone that drinks excessively. Actually, scratch that. A kid who grew up in a healthy home um, with securely attached parents, in my experience, fares much better than kids with the opposite. Now you might say, well, Kat, there's outliers and that's based on your own experience. Yeah, it is. But you know what happens through our own experience? We kind of learn the laws of the world, right? We learn the way of the world through experience. And through each person's experience, they're kind of revealing a piece of the pie and that pie is the world and that pie reflects reality and it reflects truth. So, and you're probably thinking, but what if that's tainted by your subjective this and that? And absolutely, that's the risk that we run. That's why we can't solely rely on ourselves to determine what's true and what's not, that this is why we seek. But going back to this notion of discovering through it's kind of like going into a room that's dark you can't see anything and you're feeling for the walls you're feeling for that edge that tip that tells you the parameters of your world 
And that's what the truth is. That's what that's what reality is. It's those parameters. Like maths, for example, is a process that allows us to understand those parameters. So through pattern recognition, with the example of, you know, kids growing up in good homes with securely attached parents, that this is revealing a truth. The truth is that kids who grow up in securely attached homes tend to fare better than their dysfunctional home counterparts, okay? And we can do this through patterns. And this is why I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of sounding judgmental. Don't shy away from making assessments. Don't shy away from um, what some might call generalizations, but get really good at observing, taking in that information, and then discerning how do I know when this is my subjective experience tainting how I see this thing and how do I know when it's actually true, when it's the objective truth? And when you ask those questions, you're going to be taken on a journey. <laughs> like you're going to go on one massive ride. And I'm not sitting here, you know, trying to convince you to um, like go believe in God because, you know, you guys know I do believe in God and God kind of provides this hierarchy of meaning, this ultimate truth, um, which is what what I believe tends to happen when we seek. <laughs> when you go to the most outer perimeter of the world and of that pie, you end up finding God. Now, there are people who are genuinely seeking truth and that hasn't been their experience. And um, I do believe that in their hearts, they're still seeking truth intently and they'll be taken on their own journey. Um, so I'm not saying this to convince you of something. I want you to ask questions so you can make your own life better. But the key is why is seeking truth important? We've got that down pat. How do I then know that what I'm seeing as true is not a subjective personal experience versus objective truth? And that is going to lead to a whole list of questions. It's going to lead to learning about your ego defenses. It's going to lead you to learning about resistance, your own resistance to things. It's going to make you so humble. It's going to give you, it's going to transform your heart because to ask that is really scary. Like as soon as you ask, looking at my life, what did I just believe was true? Because it was easy. Like that's going to make your stomach drop. And um, I watched people do that, people much older than me, and it horrified me. And that I think that's what instilled this sort of truth-seeking in me. It was like, I don't want to be like you. I don't want to believe my own delusions and, and cause destruction around me and hurt people. <clears throat> so start there. And then the last thing that I kind of want to say on this is the reason, and I'll talk more about this in, in further episodes, but the reason that that God ended up being this sort of ultimate hierarchy, like the ultimate parameter of how the world works. It's kind of like this. Um, now, I can't claim that I came up with this analogy. His name's Jonathan Peugeot, and he talks about, like, say there's a glass of water, right? There's all these different moving parts in this, like, there's all these different um, aspects to this glass of water, like, there's water in it and water's comprised of H2O and there's like different minerals in the glass and all these different things that are happening, okay? Now, science can tell us about those, the counterparts to this glass. But why is it that when we look at a glass, it, it's 
we can we recognize it's a glass of water. I'm not looking at it and seeing like a hydrogen molecule. I'm seeing the unified aspect of all these different parts in one. And this one thing that has a million other things that have gone into it to make it what it is, is knowable to me, right? And people get very conflicted with God and science and how can that work. When we're looking at a water glass, science will explain how parts of this glass come together and all the causative features, but it doesn't explain like how this whole thing unified is intelligible and knowable to us. Like we can perceive this as a water glass, not as its individual parts, but as a glass of water. God represents that unification of all those moving parts. Even the Catholic Church says like you can believe in evolution and still believe in the story of Genesis, of how the world came to be, and that really weaks people out. So when I talk about God, I'm saying that reality is is God's will revealed. Like God exists in how things are. God is revealed in how things are intelligible to us. Like God is revealed in what's true and science is used as a mechanism to kind of understand how those parts work, but it doesn't, it doesn't explain that unified picture. It doesn't understand the meaning of why that thing is the way it is. So for me, God is that water glass that kind of is that thread that brings everything together, that makes it all make sense. And then science, right, these, these, um, these fields of study like mathematics, physics, they're explaining those, those parts of the world, but it's not like the fullness of truth. And that's what happened with psychology, that it explained one aspect of reality or it could, and it, and it does a very good job of it. Like you see my podcast, it's so much of it's about psychology, but there needed to be this unifying, overarching um, objectivity to the world. And, and I believe that's revealed in God. Um, and I definitely want to talk more because I, I mentioned that God's will is revealed in the way things are and in reality. And that's probably really wigging people out because so many people have an idea of God as a, literally a man upstairs who's like, don't do this and do it. No. It's a much more intellectual um, concept, like, and I'm really excited to get into that. Now's not the time, but I want you guys to think about how am I seeking truth in my life? And I just know so many of you are going to be like, oh, this scares me because what's going to have to change and this and that. And well, welcome to the human condition. <laughs> this is why we're so afraid of the truth, because it does truly transform us. So let me know what you guys think. And hey, I'd really appreciate it if you can like this video. And like, if you got anything from this video, like anything, which is one insight, if you can share it to a friend or on your story, that would mean the world to me. Because the more hearts that we can transform together, gosh, maybe we can start to make this world just a better place one by one. Anyway, thanks, guys. Stay tuned and um, talk to you soon. <laughs>